Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you. Philippians 3, verse 17, to chapter 4, verse 1. Hear now God's word. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Father God, would you open our eyes this morning that we might behold wonderful things in your law. And may your word accomplish the purpose for which you send it out. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The key question to consider as we go through this passage this morning is how does resurrection hope enable us to stand firm? How does resurrection hope enable us to stand firm? Paul has been on about our hope about our unity, about following the example of others, following the example of Christ. For most of this letter, he's just encouraged us in this chapter to not place our confidence in the flesh, but instead in a righteousness that comes from God. He's spoken of the resurrection of the dead in the previous paragraph, ending in verse 11. And he's just reminded us in last week's passage, that the mark of Christian maturity is knowing that we have not yet obtained or taken hold of all that there is for us in Christ. We have not yet arrived, but it remains for us to strive after knowing the Lord Jesus. And so as we continue through the chapter, as we wrap up chapter three, there are three things I would like us to consider in this chapter. First is Paul's command to join in imitating me. 
Second is for some walk as enemies. Third is, but we are citizens of heaven. And then in light of those things, therefore, stand firm. So let's look first at verse 17, where he says, right, to join in imitating me. Brothers, join in imitating me. Paul returns to a common theme. He exhorts the Philippians to look to godly examples with a a striking urgency. Imitate me, he says. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to our example. Who's that, the we he has in mind there? Is it Paul and Timothy and Epaphras? Is it a wider circle? Of course we know it includes the Lord Jesus from chapter 2. But he wants us to have a unity in imitation. Over and over again, Paul has called upon the Philippians to be of the same mind, to be united in spirit, to think the same things. He's put himself and Timothy and Epaphras before them as godly examples and pointed to the Lord Jesus, telling us to have this mind, Christ's mind among our selves. And here, once again, He urges his readers. He pleads with the Philippians. He commands them to join together in imitating him. This calls for a close consideration because it doesn't sit well with us when we think about it in isolation. Keep your eye on godly examples like me. What's going on, Paul? Are you a little full of yourself? You think a lot of yourself, it seems. I mean, he includes in us, right? The example you have in us. But maybe they're just in on it, right? Is Paul lording his authority over the church here? Is he claiming to be without sin? Look at my example. Be like me. Because I'm perfect. We have to remember the, the passage we read last week that we considered together. What, after all, has Paul laid out as the mark of Christian maturity, but a deep awareness that he's not yet arrived, that he's striving toward the goal? What's the reason he also puts forward the example of Christ? Paul knows that he's not arrived, and yet... He strains forward to know Christ more, to be found more like him, to look more like Jesus, to be conformed to his death and share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And so he urges us to follow his example, to keep these examples of godliness before our eyes. In saying these things, Paul recognizes that that we need discernment in discipleship. We're not to look up to and and imitate the example of just anyone. I think of my time as, as a middle school student. I knew some guys who were a couple of years ahead of me. They seemed to have more of their life together. It's easy to get that impression of eighth graders when you're a sixth grader, right? A little less when you're an adult and have a sixth grader or an eighth grader, right? 
But they seemed to have their life together, to be further along in their Christian life. And, and they were more accessible to me than mature Christian adults seemed. And yet they were, after all, fellow middle school and, and high school students. Some of them fell. Some of them fell hard. Some of them walked away from the faith. And some of them are still walking with Jesus now. This is an important thing for us to reflect on. In an age of, of famous and prominent leaders with secret sins that become public failures, as the light is shone on them. Untold harm is done to Christ's church and to individual souls when such things happen. Paul knows well this danger. So he warns the Philippians. He wants them to test and sift the examples that they keep before their eyes. As they look up to other godly men and women, does their pattern of life correspond to the Christ-like example set before them by Paul, by Timothy, by Epaphras? Do they fall more and more into line with the Lord Jesus? These people that they keep before their eyes to, to look up to, do they look out for the interests of others above themselves? Do they model confession and repentance when they sin? Do they carry with them a contagious passion to know Christ more? I would be an unfaithful interpreter if I did not pause here to address leaders in the church. Though I do so with fear and trembling. Because I'm speaking to myself as well. If you are a church officer, or if you desire to become one, can you place yourself alongside Paul in this paragraph? In full awareness of your shortcomings, knowing that you are not without sin, and yet modeling growth in Christ. Showing forth a yearning to know Jesus more fully. Can you say with Paul that the church should join in imitating you? That other believers should keep your example before their eyes. Paul's command here is not an isolated comment in the New Testament. Consider what's said to the congregation in Hebrews 13 and verse 7, where he says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And consider other direct challenges, words to church officers. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Titus 2, verse 7. 
Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. In 1 Peter 5, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's a challenge to leaders here. Even as there is a command to the church to keep godly examples before your eyes. Why does Paul speak so frequently and so urgently of our need to imitate godly examples? Because godless examples abound. And so he turns to consider that next. For some walk as enemies, verses 18 and 19. He, he spells out these examples in some detail, these negative examples. We don't know who the particular folks Paul has in mind are. He does. The Philippians do. But we can take his word and apply it in our situation. What is it about these enemies? For, for many of whom I've often told you, right? this is not the first time Paul has had to bring this up. And now tell you even with tears. Tears because some of them had put themselves forward as godly examples and shown to be otherwise. With tears because of the danger they pose to the church. As people look to them, tell you with tears. Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul does not mince his words, they're not misguided, they're not mistaken on a minor point. Their allegiance is to the enemy. They walk in a way, their manner of life is hostile. Hostile to the Lord Jesus. And their end, he says, their end is destruction. He spells out what that looks like. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Make no mistake about where they are headed. Beloved, this is a live danger for us in the church. And see how it manifests that these enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, worship their appetites. Glory in shameful and would lead the church away from the Lord Jesus as they do so. Watch out for them. Keep a godly example before your eyes instead. And what is the fundamental orientation of these enemies of the cross of Christ? We know their end. We know what their walk looks like. But as Paul has has repeatedly reminded the Philippians to be of the same mind, to focus on the Lord Jesus, this group, 
This enemy has their mind set. The same verb Paul instructs of us to set our mind on Christ. Their mind is set on earthly things. The focus on the here and now, on what they can get, on what they can enjoy, on what they can lead us into. In a way that overshadows and obscures the hope of eternity. The clouds over are pursuing after righteousness in Christ. Some walk as enemies. We must keep before us godly examples. We must sift and be discerning in finding and watching those godly examples. Because there are enemies afoot who would purposefully lead us astray, who would draw our gaze away from Jesus and onto things that give us a mere temporary pleasure. Their end, he says, is destruction. So if we are to imitate godly examples, if we are to beware because some walk as enemies, what about us? Their end is destruction. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. It's a fundamental contrast of focus. Mindset on earthly things or citizenship in heaven. This is a powerful word for the Philippians who live in a Roman colony where they prided themselves that they were Roman citizens with all of the rights and privileges that that belong with being a citizen of that famous city, a colony established by Rome. Paul makes use of the privileges that come with being a Roman citizen, right? As he is on trial unjustly in Palestine and appeals to Caesar. It was truly a wonderful thing to be a Roman citizen. So Paul leverages that language to remind the Philippians that their higher citizenship, the more important commonwealth to which they belong, is a heavenly one. We are citizens of heaven. We have all the rights and privileges that belong to that. As we are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. As we have a king who rules and defends us. And subdues us to himself. Who will fight our battles for us. And who has won the victory at the cross. We are citizens of heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Language that doesn't have the ring for us that it does for them, because Savior and Lord are words Caesar applied to himself. Caesar was savior of the world. Caesar was lord of the peoples. And Paul asserts 
as he does in other places, but in a way that sounds a special note for the Philippians. Your Lord and Savior, your King whom you await is the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Our focus is on Christ. We are not looking at our appetites. We're not focused on earthly things, but we're focused on the Lord Jesus, awaiting his return, striving to know him more and to become more like him. In our end, as heavenly citizens, as those united to Christ, our end is not destruction. It says in verse 21, speaking of the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. The end of those who walk as enemies is destruction. For they have allied themselves with the kingdom of darkness. But for those who belong to Christ, Paul says that he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And here we come to something wonderful. For as Paul develops this thought in other places, here he again asserts that Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. To another congregation in Macedonia, he wrote on an earlier occasion, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This is the substance of Christian hope. Something we have to look forward to, not an arresting of pain and sorrow full stop. Not the knowledge that though we may pass into oblivion, our team goes on to win. Not some disembodied existence where, where naked souls float on the air around a Savior who's powerless to make the dead once more alive. And certainly not some grotesque zombie movie set with a crowd of half-decayed undead wandering about. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead in a new, glorious, physical body, so shall we. A body in continuity with what he had before. Bearing the wounds of the cross. Able to walk and talk with his followers. To to sit with them and eat a meal. And yet a body glorious. With properties we only get the merest glimpses of. As the resurrected Christ does things like enter a locked room from the outside. How's that work? Are we going to be able to do that too? I don't know. I don't know. We probably won't need the locks. Anyway. What will that mean for us? I don't know. But I look forward to finding out. Beloved, the end of the enemies of Christ is destruction. But if we are united to Christ, if we are citizens of heaven, we will be transformed will be given a body like the risen Lord 
Jesus. The resurrection is not just the proclamation of victory over evil, although it is not less than that. But it is also the announcement of our hope. Because Christ Jesus is risen from the dead as the first fruits, guaranteeing the whole crop of the resurrection. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things, including the Lord and Savior, Caesar Nero, to subject all things to himself. And so in light of this, in light of the godly examples we have set before our eyes, in light of the destruction of the enemies of God, in light of our heavenly citizenship and the, and the transformation of our bodies, Paul says in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. What will empower you to stand against persecution? But resurrection hope and a knowledge of the, the kingdom to which you belong. What will encourage you in times of deep sorrow? But a reminder of the power of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus to subject all things to his rule, including those things that trouble you? What will help us find a way forward as we move into discussing interpersonal difficulty in the congregation at Philippi that will sound not a little like things we see among us from time to time? But a reminder that the Lord Jesus is Lord over all that he has been raised from the dead, that he is coming again. It will transform his people. Therefore, beloved, stand firm. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for the way Paul in this text points in such a significant way to the power of the resurrection. Reminds us of the one to whom we belong and of his ability to accomplish his will and the certainty of the outcome of this combat. Lord, as evil raises its head and threatens your church and touches our lives, would you remind us, would you press these truths deeply into our souls that we, with Paul, with the Philippians, with your church throughout all ages, might stand firm in the Lord. We ask this in Jesus' 
precious name. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.